to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 28. As you turn there, again, let me welcome all of you this morning. We're especially thankful for those of you who are visiting with us. And we pray that God's word and that God's people will be a rich encouragement to your soul this Lord's day. I encourage you to take a, a moment after the service to uh, look at your bulletins, a lot of announcements of things that are going on in the life of our congregation. Uh, in particular, next Sunday evening, we have uh, a marriage seminar uh, at our Sunday night fellowship. And so we do need you to register so that we can know how much food to provide. There is a free meal uh, for you if you will uh, register for it. Uh, we begin at 5 instead of 5.30 so that we can have two sessions. Dr. John Quasi will be teaching to us on marriage. And so uh, no matter uh, what the state of your marriage might be or no matter if you're married or not married, we encourage you to come and, and join with us as we uh, celebrate God's good gift uh, through studying his word together. Also, men, don't forget to register for the crawfish boil. That'll be taking place not this Wednesday, uh, but next. Uh, so. Well, this morning we come to meditate upon uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Uh, we've been uh, preaching through the gospel, the book of Romans, uh, these past months. And, and so I, I'm, I'm wanting us to move from uh, heavy, uh, dense theology, the, the, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that Paul has been expounding, our uh, being uh, dead with Christ and alive with Christ. And let us focus our hearts this morning on a narrative, a story, uh, the gospel story of Jesus rising from the dead. Hear God's word. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew writes, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, 
But the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we study his word. Oh, Father, we praise you and thank you that on the third day, you raised your son from death to life. And in that resurrection, O oh Lord, you justified us. You vindicated him and exalted him as the sinless one who had taken away our sins. And in his resurrection, we have righteousness. We have acceptance. We have vindication. Oh Lord, we thank you for the gift of faith that has united us to Jesus Christ not only in his death, but in his resurrection, so that we might walk in newness of life. Oh Lord, we pray that your spirit would come, even through the preaching of your word this morning, and would not only bring new life to those who are still dead in sins and trespasses, but Lord, would grant power so that we might walk in that newness of life with which we have been raised with Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the great hope of resurrection that is ours, that even as he rose from the dead, we will rise also. And I pray, O Lord, this morning, that that hope, that living hope, that it would be a great comfort to those who are suffering, to those who are struggling with all the frailty and the, the physical pain and, of this life. O Lord, we pray that you would draw near to your hurting people, Lord, we ask that you would cause the hope of resurrection to be that in which we rejoice, in which we find all of our comfort and all of our hope and all of our peace. Lord, would you ground our hearts even more fully this morning in this truth so that we might live for you, that we might walk by faith and not by sight. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are no longer dead. You are alive forevermore as our great prophet, priest, and king. And you love us, and you will love us all the way to the end. So, Lord, meet with us now. Speak to us by your spirit through this word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the last six years or so, we have gotten used to hearing the term fake news, haven't we? It's a useful term that can accurately describe uh, stories that are actually false, but it's also a convenient term, we might say, right? For public figures to throw around who uh, wish some stories about them in the news to just disappear and, and go away. Right? The in increase of this claim, of the use of this term, uh, has made discerning the truth harder, hasn't it? I know it has for me. It's also made fact-checking that much more important. But fact-checking isn't enough, is it? I mean, Vladimir Putin believes that there were dead bodies in the town of Bucha. But he would say that those dead bodies were there because they were staged by Ukrainians or other Western countries. They weren't there because Russian soldiers had killed them. You see, even when the facts are agreed upon, the explanation of those facts can be 180 degrees different. In our text this morning, we have another example of that sort of thing. Here is a fact that everyone involved agreed was true. The tomb where Jesus was buried on Friday evening was empty on Sunday morning. The body of Jesus was gone. That was a fact. Everyone agreed on that. But the explanation of that fact was very different, wasn't it? 
The angel and the women testify that on the third day after Jesus' death, counting inclusively as the Jews did, Jesus rose bodily, physically from the dead. His human soul was reunited with his human body, never to be separated again. And the Christian church has believed that testimony even to the point of death. The Roman guards, however, as we see here in Matthew, being paid handsomely by the chief priest, declared that the empty tomb was an incredible heist. It was a grave robbery that happened while they were asleep on their duty. And the vast majority of mankind down through the past two millennia, though perhaps not accepting the stolen body theory, have believed that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is fake news. It's fake. It's made up. And so what about you? How do you explain the fact of the empty tomb? Is the resurrection of Jesus fake news? Or is it the truth? Is it the truth to which you will bow your knee? Is it the truth that will change you, that will change everything about your life in every way forever? This morning, I want us to consider Matthew's account of the hours just after Jesus' resurrection. And as we listen to his story of the guards, which is actually unique to Matthew's gospel, as well as the story of the women, each one of us this morning is confronted with the empty tomb and with a decision that will have eternal consequences. So let's think about these two groups of people this morning. First, the guards and then the women. First, the guards. If you were to go and read the end of chapter 27, you would see that after Jesus had been buried, the chief priests and the Pharisees had gone to Pontius Pilate and they had asked him to secure the grave with Roman soldiers. You see, they knew that Jesus had claimed that he would rise from the dead three days after his death. And so they wanted soldiers to, to be on guard, to prevent the disciples from coming and from stealing his body away and then claiming that Jesus had actually risen from the dead. So Pilate agrees to give them these soldiers and they make the grave secure. The text tells us they set a seal on the stone right, as a security measure so that the disciples couldn't come and secretly move this, the stone and, and then take the body and then put the stone back and, and pretend that they had never been there. And so the Jewish leaders, having secured this guard, uh, were confident that they had thwarted the attempts at, at being fooled by Jesus's disciples, right? This ragtag group of, of men that had fled when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, surely they would not attempt to, to sneak to the tomb by night with a platoon of Roman soldiers stationed there. But what the Jewish leaders didn't count on was that a platoon of Roman soldiers is no match for one soldier from the Lord's angelic army. And so Matthew tells us that at some point during that dark early morning around dawn on the first day of the week, an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came to Jesus' tomb. And just as an earthquake had occurred when Jesus died on Friday, 
So a severe earthquake occurs at this moment on Sunday as well. The angel rolled away the stone that covered the mouth of the tomb like a child might roll away a hula hoop. You remember hula hoops? He pushed it over. He sat upon it in victory and triumph. And just as the earth had shaken, so Matthew tells us that the guards shook and they trembled as well. And rightly so for these men who who likely had seen incredible dangers and, and threats to their own life in battle. Yet they had never confronted anything as fearful as this angel before. Matthew tells us the angel shone like lightning and against the the darkness of the morning and, and the gray and brown rock of the tomb, his clothing was white as snow. If you've ever been in the, the snow and, and, and you've been in the snow on a sunny day and the, and the sun is, is shining on the white snow and it, and it is blinding, you have to guard your eyes. Now imagine right, the, the, the brightest lightning strike you've ever seen constantly, just shining brightly as lightning on the whitest white you've ever seen. That's the picture that Matthew is painting for us. Matthew tells us that they fainted to the ground in fear like the dead man they were supposed to be guarding. And the dead man that they were guarding had come back to life. Now, we don't know the exact order of events here. It's a little bit unclear, but but it seems that when the women arrived, the earthquake had already happened. We know that from the other gospel accounts. Jesus had already risen. The angel had already rolled the stone away. And it does appear that the guards were already out cold on the ground when the, the women come up. The guards didn't hear any of the conversation between the angel and the women, and probably they woke up when everyone else was gone. Matthew doesn't tell us if they had seen Jesus, but clearly they had seen that the tomb was empty. And now they're in trouble. You've seen the memes. You had one job. (laughs) The guards had one job. Guard the tomb. And they had failed at that job. And they knew that the consequences would be severe, deadly. And so some run off to who knows where, but some, Matthew tells us, go back to the chief priest and they tell the chief priest everything that had happened, verse 11. Now immediately the priests and the elders go into damage control mode. All right? They get together, they devise the plan. And they tell the soldiers, here's the deal. You're not going to tell anyone what you just told us. Rather, you're going to say that you failed at your task. You fell asleep on the job. And that while you were sleeping, his disciples came and stole Jesus's body away. That's what you're going to tell people. Now we we know that this is going to make you look bad. And we know that it's pretty dangerous because falling asleep on guard duty is, you know, Deserves the death penalty? We know that. So here's a huge sum of money, right? It would have taken a huge sum of money to get them to admit what they're going to admit. And if this story happens to make its way up to the governor, to Pontius Pilate, we'll satisfy him as well. He can be bribed, right? We'll give him some money as well, and we will protect you from your superiors. And so the guards take the money. And they tell this story of the stolen body. And by the time Matthew writes his gospel, some 30 years probably after the events, it had spread widely amongst the Jews of his day. Justin Martyr, a Christian apologist in the second century, the middle of the 100s, tells us that even then it was still believed by the Jews of his day. 
But do you see the irony and the absurdity of this story? In their cover-up, the Jews were spreading the exact same story that they had installed the guards to prevent from spreading, that the disciples had stolen the body. And what a ridiculous yarn they had spun. It just boggles the imagination that anyone would believe this tale, as if every Roman soldier present that morning would have been asleep, and as if the disciples could have come and rolled away the stone without waking them up, and as if they would have known what had happened if they were asleep. You remember the the child in your Sunday school class who, who said, you know, Mrs. Smith, Jimmy had his eyes open during the prayer. And, 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 you know, the teacher will say, well, how do you know unless you too had your eyes open during the prayer, right? And that's what's going on here. Either the soldiers were asleep and so couldn't have known what really happened, or they weren't asleep and they had let the disciples take the body. Right? The, the story is patently on the surface ridiculous. It's absurd. It's self-contradictory. And I think that's what Matthew wants to confront you with this morning. If you say this morning that it is absurd that a dead man could come back to life, we totally get that. It is not normal, right? It is abnormal. It is super normal, supernatural. And yet, facts are stubborn things, as the saying goes. What will you do? With the empty tomb, what other explanation will you give for it? Perhaps the swoon theory, that Jesus didn't really die. But I imagine that the Roman soldiers there at the cross would think differently. Or how about the hallucination theory, that everyone who claimed to have seen Jesus alive after his death had actually just eaten some magic mushrooms and, you know, look, they just all saw it. It wasn't really true. But we just saw Paul say that 500 people At one time, Jesus appeared to. How do 500 people have the same hallucination? Or how about just the lie theory? Did all four Gospels just make up this fake news and spread it about? It's interesting. Even the slight differences amongst the four Gospel authors point in the exact opposite direction. There was no party line. There was no sort of, here's how we're going to tell the tale of Jesus rising from the dead and make sure everybody gets it right the same way. No, each gospel author, even as we see this morning, no one else speaks about the guards being there at the tomb, which points that this was a true story, a real narrative, a real occasion, a real happening that eyewitness account were telling from from all the various perspectives that they had. And who would make up a story in the first century in which women, women whose testimony could not be believed in a court of law, who would make up a story where women were the first witnesses to give testimony of this fact of the resurrection? And why would anyone die for a lie? As we know that so many of the disciples did. The tomb was empty. Even the opponents of Jesus admitted this fact. And facts are stubborn things. But here's something that's even more stubborn than facts. It's the presuppositions 
the biases, the priors, the, the, the faith commitments that we bring to our evaluation of the facts. Did you notice when the guards came to the Jewish leaders with their story of an angel rolling the stone away, this evidence had no effect whatsoever on these men who were already committed to unbelief. They didn't say, I cannot believe it. We have been wrong this entire time. Jesus really is the Messiah. They didn't say that, did they? No. And so when you go back to chapter 27, verse 42, and you hear people saying, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe in him. No, you wouldn't. Not necessarily. Maybe you've said or you've heard people say, if I could see Jesus alive with my own two eyes, then I would believe. No, you wouldn't. Not necessarily. Because you would bring to that evidence, right? Either the historical evidence of the past or, or, or the visible evidence that you might get in the present. You would bring to the evidence your faith commitment. Your presuppositions about how the world works about what could possibly happen. Jesus in Luke 16 tells a parable. It's, we typically call it the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And at the end of the parable, Jesus says this, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they believe even if somebody rises from the dead. Jesus is saying, look, if you don't believe the Bible, the word of God, the scriptures, then all the evidence, all the facts in the world, all the historical happenings, even someone rising from the dead, it will be utterly unconvincing to you. And so this morning, I want to challenge you. How will you interpret this fact of the empty tomb? What explanation will you give for it if you reject the explanation that the scriptures give, that Jesus is alive, that he rose from the dead. And in order to help us to, to, to grasp and to, to wrestle with this call to faith, faith in this direction, you believe something. If you're here this morning about Jesus and about his empty tomb, but in order to believe the truth that Jesus rose from the dead, we need to look at the women. We need to see what faith looks like. I've just mentioned that it's truly amazing that all four gospels would tell us that women were the first witnesses of the resurrection. Why would God do it this way? Well, in part to show that the foolishness of God is wiser than men, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians, but also to honor the loyal love and the courage of these ladies. Matthew mentions Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, not, not Jesus' mom and, and not Mary of Mary and Martha, right? But uh, as he tells us in chapter 27, verse 56, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. Now, now we know from other gospel accounts that these weren't the only two women present. There were several women who had been at the cross as Jesus died, who had been at the tomb and saw where Jesus had been buried. And now we're here at the grave on Sunday morning to finish anointing his dead body, as they supposed, with spices. You see, unlike the disciples, these women had not abandoned Jesus, had they? 
And just as an angel appeared at Jesus' birth to witness to it and to explain the meaning of it and to give instructions, so the same thing happens at Jesus' resurrection. He comes to these women speaking words of comfort. He comes affirming their love for Jesus. Verse 5, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. I know why you're here, because you love him. And so he gives them the privilege of hearing the first announcement of Jesus' resurrection. He is not here, for he has risen as he said, come, see the place where he lay. He declares that the tomb is empty because Jesus had come back to life. And in Matthew's narrative of these women disciples, we see a beautiful picture of what faith looks like, what marks faith. Several things. First, faith believes the word of God. Note what the angel said. He has risen just as he said. Now, some commentators see in the angel's words here a gentle rebuke, right? the women, the disciples, no one should have been surprised by the empty tomb on the third day. This is exactly what Jesus himself had said would happen. He had predicted it at least four times in the gospel of Matthew. He had even told them that he would go ahead of them to Galilee. They should have expected it. They should have come to the tomb expecting to see it empty on the third day. But why did Jesus foretell his resurrection? Because Jesus knew that the Old Testament foretold his resurrection. In Luke 24, he, he says to the two on the road to Emmaus, he says, thus it is written, right? And he says this to all the disciples, in fact, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead according to the scriptures on the third day, right? It was written that Jesus would rise on the third day. Paul says the same thing. We saw it this morning in 1 Corinthians 15, according to the scriptures. Now, where, you say, in the Old Testament does it speak of the resurrection of Jesus? Well, the book of Acts actually tells us several places. Probably the, the most famous of all would be Psalm 16. You will not allow your Holy One to see decay. Or Jesus himself points back to Jonah as a type. Even as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man must be in the heart of the earth, three days and three nights. Or perhaps you remember those words from Job chapter 19. As for me, said Job, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand upon the earth. And we could mention others as well. You see, our faith is founded upon the Word of God, the incarnate risen Word and the inscripturated Word, the written Word. And the resurrection is at the heart of the message of the Bible. As one author has put it, ever since Adam brought death into the world, the plan of God has been to destroy death through life after death. And so faith believes the word of God. But secondly, faith obeys you notice after telling them that Jesus was alive, the angel commissioned the ladies with a task. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Their calling was to witness to the resurrection. That's most likely the reason why the stone was moved away. Not necessarily to let Jesus come out, but to let 
the women see in that he was no longer there. And so they do exactly what the angel says. They leave the tomb, quick, the tomb quickly. They, they run to report it to his disciples. They obeyed. And on their way, marvel of marvels, wonder of wonders, Jesus himself meets them in the flesh and with a sort of just normal form of greeting in their day, as if nothing had happened these past three days. Hey, good morning. What's up? How y'all doing? Right. And what do they do? Right. They respond with more obedience, more obedience. He tells them to go tell his disciples that they should leave for Galilee. And they go. Now Luke tells us, this is the interesting thing. Luke tells us that when they went and told the disciples that the tomb was empty, that Jesus had risen from the dead, their words appeared to the disciples as nonsense and they would not believe them. Here's, here's the thing I want you to hear. The ladies were not responsible for the results of their witnessing. That was not their concern. Obedience to the task was, and they did what the angel and then what Jesus told them to do. They bore witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the same is true of you and me. If you believe in Jesus this morning, you have a calling to bear witness to the truth of the resurrection. Though you have not seen Jesus with your own eyes, Yet you have believed that he is alive and you are called to witness to his resurrection, even if people reject that truth. No matter what the results of your testimony are, some will think it's nonsense and will not believe. Some will do that at first and then will come to believe. Some will believe immediately and will be saved. Your job, your calling, like the ladies is to go and to tell, to bear witness, no matter what the results might be. So we see that faith believes the word of God. Faith obeys. Thirdly, faith rejoices with trembling. That's how they left the tomb, isn't it? With fear and with great joy. Right, the, the, the women had been just as terrified as the guards were at the sight of the angel and the stone that was rolled away, revealing this empty tomb. And in spite of the angel's words, they were still fearful when they left. Jesus has to tell them again, do not be afraid. Now you can completely understand why they were afraid, right? They had seen supernatural things. They had seen miraculous things. They saw soldiers on the ground like dead men. An angel had spoken to them. But though they should not have been afraid, yet fear, reverence, awe, trembling was entirely appropriate. And even more appropriate, was the great joy that filled their hearts with this news. The one who had been crucified for them was no longer dead. He had been raised for their justification, for their forgiveness, for their righteousness. Jesus, their Savior and their Lord, was alive. And so too can and must our hearts be filled with great joy with trembling all of our days. We rejoice with trembling, Psalm 2 says. For Jesus Christ is alive forevermore. And we who believe in him, not only are we alive with him as we've been seeing in Romans 6, but we will be raised up physically, bodily on the last day with him. And so we rejoice with trembling. 
Two more things that we see about faith here in this passage. Fourth, faith worships. When Jesus greeted the ladies, they responded by taking hold of his feet in reverence and worshiping him. You see, the resurrection had proven beyond a shadow of a doubt what was true all along, that Jesus Christ was not only truly man, with a real body, with real feet that could be held and grabbed and touched even after the resurrection. But he was truly God, God of God, light of light, worthy of all worship. As Paul tells us in Romans chapter one, he was declared to be the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. The father declaring him to be the sinless one whose sacrificial work was accepted as sufficient, as all that was needed, as spotless and flawless in every way, as the substitutionary work, Jesus dying for his people, the spirit of holiness rejoiced to, to fill the son again with resurrection life. And Jesus himself demonstrates his divine power by taking life back to himself. And so we too must say with doubting Thomas, my Lord and my God. Faith worships the risen king. All that we are, all that we have belongs to him who is the resurrection and the life. And finally, we see in the story of the ladies that faith delights in the grace of God. Faith delights in the grace of God. Did you notice what Jesus called his disciples? He called them brothers. Brothers. This is the best word in the entire passage. This is up there with Mark, where Mark has, records that the angels said, go and tell his disciples and Peter. Brothers. The, the very ones who had weakly and fearfully deserted Jesus in his time of greatest need when he was arrested. Even Peter, who had denied him three times. Jesus calls them brothers. He doesn't call them defectors, abandoners, quarrelers, losers, sinners, which they all were. He calls them brothers, family, sharers of the inheritance that he had secured and purchased for them on the cross. He says that they will see him. He doesn't say, I don't want to ever see them again, or I'll only see them if. He calls them brothers. He forgives their sins. He restores them to God. He gives them the hope of eternal life. And they didn't deserve it one bit. And neither do you. If you are a Christian this morning, if you believe as the women believed, if you believe the word of God, if you are obeying faithfully in faith, if you're rejoicing with trembling, if you're worshiping him, then your heart must delight in the grace of Jesus because you have been saved by grace when you least deserved it. He has called you brother, sister, even though you are a sinner. J.C. Ryle puts it so beautifully. Our Savior is one who never forgets his people. He pities their infirmities. He does not despise them. He knows their weaknesses and yet does not cast them away. Our great high priest, our conquering king, is also 
our elder brother. Jesus Christ. He was crucified for our sins. He was raised for our justification. He was raised to give us the hope of eternal life. And all of it was because of grace. Do you delight in the grace of your risen king? This is not fake news. This is sober truth. This is joyful truth. This is truth that changes everything. And so I call on you. I plead with you. I invite you. I command you. I exhort you. Believe the gospel. Put your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ who is alive forevermore. Walk by faith and not by sight. Obey him. Rejoice in him. Tremble reverently before him. Worship him. And revel in the grace of the risen Savior. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you that you are alive. This is not a made-up story. It's not fake news. It's not a lie. It is truth. Oh Lord, would you grant ears to hear and hearts to believe this truth. And Lord, would this truth gnaw away at anyone who would reject it and seek to ignore it. Lord, we pray that you would cause all of those who love you in truth, Lord, to be encouraged this day, for they have been saved by grace. They've been saved for good work. So Lord, help us to go forth boldly and confidently that we might bring the gospel to those who do not yet believe it, Lord, we pray that you would be exalted. Thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you for even the events that happened that morning after you rose and how instructed they are to us. So, Lord, would you come and would you build us up in faith? We pray in your holy name. Amen. Let's stand together and respond by singing number 274, Thine be the glory.
Receive the Lord's benediction. Let me the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, may he equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen.